Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage, and practice self-care, and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power, and this allows us to impact, serve, and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Brenda Halloran. Brenda was the mayor of the city of Waterloo in Canada from 2006 to 2014. She decided it was time to step up and be the mayor without any prior political experience, but had a dream and a vision and the support of an incredibly strong women in her in our community. Today, Halloran is the chair of the board of Startup Canada and has her own consulting business. She is also a wedding officiant. She is highly engaged in the community and is the past president of the Rotary Club of Waterloo, sits on the board of Sexual Assault Support Centre of Waterloo Region, the crisis, the Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, and One Roof. She believes in coaching and mentoring others and helping them to achieve their highest potential. Okay, that is a lot that she has done for our community and for the people in our community. What you won't believe is her backstory, her backstory that has led her to here and how she shares with you the perspective shifts that she goes through and that she does in order to see how life has happened for her and the power of asking for help and reaching out and not being stuck in shame stories and really being able to step up and move your way through a challenging situation and then use that fuel to make an impact in your community, in your life, in the people around you. It's so powerful. I am just so in awe and so grateful for Brenda sharing so openly on this podcast. You will absolutely love this episode. Welcome to the show today, Brenda. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, Marsha, I've been waiting for a while to get on the show uh, because it's been a busy world for both of us, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have time with you. Oh, I'm very, very thrilled. And yes, yeah, sometimes we have to have patience, and that's all. It's all good, right? It's all perfect. So, ironic question: Where are you from? <laughs> I know oh, where you're from, okay, but so not everybody does. Yes. So I was born in Hamilton, so I've got steel in my veins. Born in Corktown to uh, kind of a poor Irish family at the time. And uh, my parents moved us to Waterloo in uh, the 1960s. My dad was a self-employed entrepreneur. And he said to my mother, there's a lot of things happening in that little city called Waterloo. There's universities being built and um, selling electronics and let's go. And he brought us here. So I was raised by a feminist, self-employed entrepreneur. And in those days, none of those words were even known. My father was an amazing person and a wonderful, amazing mom. Uh, grew up here with two younger brothers, went to uh, school here, WCI, became a nurse um, and um, have had many different careers throughout my life. Wow. That's I did that. that. No, I love the Coles notes. It's interesting because self-employed entrepreneur is not something you would have heard 
normally in that in that time. No, no I, I really didn't wasn't. know that he was that, and I didn't know that he was a feminist because he would tell me girls should be paid the same as boys, and you should have the same opportunities, and never change your name. That's your name, and be proud of it. Um, he encouraged me to get into politics. He was really quite a man, and I didn't really know that until later in life. How amazing wow. he was for his times. Yeah, he was, he grew up in very poor and impoverished. His dad died when they were young, raised by an ill mother, and he self-raised himself to be a, a very successful uh, entrepreneur in this community. So, yeah. That's so I, fascinating. I mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating because that's not something that um, a lot, of, I mean, I'm in the seventies and that is not something that my dad was an entrepreneur, but not like female entrepreneurs was not something yeah. that was the norm. If I do air quotes of norm. Yeah. Are you a reader? And if you are, do you have a book that's had an impact on your life? Jeez, I am a reader and I've read so many books. Um, actually, you know, interesting book. I, I love um, biographies and I'm, I'm a, a real fan of Elizabeth the first because she was such a, a strong woman and I, I've read as much as I can. And I named my daughter Elizabeth because Elizabeth was such a strong, strong leader. Um, I think some of the interesting books I've read have to do around dealing with conflict management. So when I worked for Revenue Canada, I became um, a conflict management specialist and a lead mediator for the federal government. And up until then, I really didn't know how to deal with conflict. I had a lot of conflict and difficult times in my life but I had never really learned how to deal with it. So one of the first books I read was, you know, how to deal with conflict, getting to yes, mediation books. Um, mm -hmm. And it transformed me in how I was dealing with my own professional and personal world and how I was dealing with people. And that experience was very beneficial in uh, dealing with the raw green uh, situation where my house was built on landfill site and I kind of was one of the um, community leaders in fighting city hall and when I became mayor so yeah it was just this <laughs> just, random little, little book. that's all like that's just all you've done that, that's all right like I just I can't wait to dive into more of that but just just when I became mayor you know um I love it absolutely love it I can't wait to dive into that story um do you have a favorite quote or a mantra or something that really speaks to who you are as a person Absolutely. It's um, my favorite mantra. If um, you make a living by what you, you do, you, you make a life by what you give. It's Winston Churchill quote. And that's mm. one I've lived by. And uh, I have it posted everywhere I, I look. I, I firmly believe in that. You know, life is about helping and, and service and, and uh, being a part of, of a community and, and making sure that community is, is thriving. So uh, I guess it goes back to when my I went through a time when I lost my home and lost everything that I thought I have to um, I have to live by that mantra and uh, look at how do I give back because a lot of people helped me when I needed it. Oh, I cannot wait to dive more into that. And we're going to in a second. I just want to ask you one more thing, which I think you've already said. What lights you up and what drives you the most? What is something that is is who you are at the core and it drives you to keep going? Um, helping people, um, being able to, to help in any way I can, because mm -hmm. again, people have helped me all through my life and, uh, I'm in a position now that I can, um, I can help and I can, I can make changes and I can do some impactful things. 
And it's because of the experiences in life I've had and the opportunities I've had. And of course, you know, the way your show is, it's about how do you rise above your challenges and the things that have held you back. How do you rise above, rise out of it and, and continue to do good, but always look back. You know, it's great to move forward, but you always got to look back and help those who need to help. Oh, I, I have goosebumps. Absolutely love that. So we have to, there are so many people that we can make an impact with and that we can do. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are praying for someone to step up in order to show what's the way, like, how do I, how do I get out of this? How do I create change? So I really honor that that is something that you don't take lightly. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. you right now are very much community involved still, right? You, mm-hmm. you there's, yeah. Could you tell us about a couple of the things that you're involved with on a regular basis? Yeah. So um, I'm on several boards, local boards. So I'm on the Sexual Assault Support Center uh, Board of Waterloo Region. I'm on the, the Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region Board, uh, as well as One Roof, which is an uh, uh, organization that helps homeless youth. I just, I'm a Rotarian, and I just am the past president of the Rotary Club of Waterloo. And I am a wedding officiant. I love to marry people. Um, I'm involved in a lot of different organizations uh, in kind of um, in a supportive role to help them with uh, fundraising. I help people find uh, candidates for boards if they need it. Um, Every day I get emails from people asking for help. Uh, Women who are in difficult situations, um, organizations who need help. Um, I support local business. I I feel that because I spent eight years as the mayor of this my my uh, wonderful city Waterloo, that it put me in a position that I can help. That I I know a lot of of people and organizations. I know the system, and mm-hmm. I know how the system works and how the system lets people down. And uh, politically, there were times when I would rage against the the machine I was in because I I couldn't change some of the ways we were going on things. But um, I just uh, yeah, I really love to be involved in the community and um, help. Now you like if that's a lot of things that you help out with, which I think is so um, that's so wonderful. How do you decide? Is there times that you say yes or no, or how do you decide like what you say yes to? Because everything we do is energy. Everything we give is energy, and we can't do everything. So how do you decide, or do you just make it work? How do how does that work for you? Usually I say yes and make it work and then shake my head like, oh boy. But I, can't, I, I seldom say no. And, um, I, you know, I just look at it. I've got one kick of the can. I'm going to be dead longer than I'm alive. And anything that comes along, I, I'm just going to try it out, embrace it, check it out, and um, do what I can and, and give back what I can. And I do get awesome. tired. But, um, it, yeah, I, I get um, energized by it. I get back more than, than I give just mm-hmm. in now, uh, just being able to do something. And so, yeah, but yeah, sometimes I think, why, why am I doing this? Why, why don't I say no, but I can't. It's okay. It's okay. Like it's, it's a world human. It's all good. It's all good. Is, is that, is that a trait of yours that you have always been that way? Cause very, like more people could benefit from being, philanthropic in the way to give back and help others. Like we all, it's just like that. And, and I'm sure it's always the same percentage of people who are helping in mm-hmm. a lot of those scenarios. So is that something that you have always been like, 
is that something that became more important to you as you went through life or a bit of both? Yeah, that's a really good question because no, when I was younger, um, you know, I was always involved in high school and on different um, student councils and, and did things like that. And, and I was kind of involved, but not to the level I, I have become because um, I have went through very um, an abusive uh, marriage and I, I left it. And then I had a, a, a two and a half year old and I was wiped out financially. So I was pretty, pretty um, challenged by life. But at that time, after I left the marriage, kind of got back on my feet emotionally and financially um, I, I did start volunteer work at Anselma House, which was a women's shelter at that time. And uh, I ended up, um, I was working with emotionally disturbed kids at the shelter because I have uh, experience in that field. And then my daughter one day said, Mommy, how come you're leaving me to work with those kids? And I, it really, it really kind of shocked me because um, I was working three jobs and trying to support us and I didn't have a lot of time. And it really made me kind of take stock of what I was doing. So um, I did, I, I retired from that position, but I still started doing things for the shelter because I knew my daughter and I had, if we hadn't had the support of my family and friends, we would have been in a very difficult position. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started gathering things from people, from my workmates and friends, uh, because a lot of the women and children leaving the shelter would, would arrive with nothing and have nothing mm -hmm. to move to. So I would gather um, household things and and clothes and furniture, and I'd store them in my, my little garage. And then when women left the shelter, um, they could come and take whatever they needed, or friends who were moving would donate furniture and we'd move them in. We had, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And my daughter was able to participate, and she would donate things or say, Mom, I don't need that dresser. Let them have a mm. dresser and things like that. It was a good lesson for her. So that was, a, that was my way of being in, um, able to start giving back. So for me, it was having some really... Um, shattering life experiences in a kind of, you know, I'd been kind of comfortable for a long time and then boom, life changed. And then I realized there are a lot of people who need help and, and are worse off than me. And a lot of people helped me through one of the worst difficult times in my life. And uh, I always resolved that when I was able to get help and give back, I would do it. And so mm -hmm. that that's kind of what triggered me to get involved. So then I, I went through a time when my house, um, I found out my house was built on a contaminated landfill site in Kitchener. And that was very, um, it was horrible and impactful and difficult. And um, I ended up being kind of a community leader. And I hadn't really planned on it to be a you know community activist. I was a single mom working three jobs, living the dream and trying, trying to, to keep the house and trying, trying to. to yeah. And then life threw me into this. Uh, situation and it was really difficult. It was tough. Uh, it was very, very tough. And I ended up losing my life savings, my house, my property. Um, I was threatened by by the banks that they were going to throw me in jail, basically, if I didn't pay them. And it was a terrible situation. But um, through it all, I had uh, been working for Revenue Canada. They mm -hmm. were incredibly supportive and, and really backed me up. And, and the community and friends and people. So um, I went through that. I had to, I lost everything, had to rebuild my world financially and, fit and uh, emotionally again. Um, and my daughter and I, we just thrived through this because we had each other and, and my family and my parents. And then um, in 2006, it was a municipal election and I, I was uh, on my feet 
and life was strong and good and, and I was back on track and that's when the municipal election came up and, and uh, I was having um, a lunch with two very amazing women and talking about it and I said you know maybe I should run for council or something and uh, Catherine something. Fife, who is our MPP said to me Gren, why don't you run for mayor I said okay I'm gonna run for mayor and uh, that's what I did no, and I had no experience in it. Um, yeah, it was, that was quite fun. That was quite an experience. It's, I think what you're showing, right, is how, like, at any point in time in life, we have always two decisions. Like we end up, we can become a victim of our circumstance or we can say, no, I'm not doing that and I'm going this way. And it seems like repeatedly that is an inherent trait for you is you could stay as the victim looking at everything that's going wrong or you're using that as fuel to do something different to create change. And that's like, that's like literally the epitome of the perfect podcast guest for this show, which I love <laughs> is you're using that as fuel. That's your fuel to do something right. Instead of, um, I, uh, there was time I'm going to say, I bet just about 10 or 12 years ago, I was at a women's event in Toronto. And one of the things we had this mystery day where we didn't know what we were doing and they took us by, and by limo, which was all part of the, of the experience. They took us to work in a women's shelter and we worked there for the day. And I'll never, I will never forget. This is, you know, one of those experiences that just really ingrains in your soul and the director of the house said to us that I want you to understand that where you are to where these women are sometimes is a difference of just one decision. They didn't do anything wrong. Oh, they didn't do anything. And I was just, isn't that, it's one decision. Some of them have like university degrees. Some of them have this, some of them just left a very abusive marriage. Mm -hmm. So they are not yes. any worse or lower than you. They are in a space that they made one different decision. And that has always like it's it was a very pivotal moment and then what they had us do was when we were done there was no ride back to the hotel we had one hour to get back in our team of four we had to raise as much money as possible and we had an hour to do it and we were in toronto we were a long ways away from where our hotel was and that was like what we're doing what and it was such a humbling. So now all of a sudden we're on the road, like we're on the streets begging for money to get back to what a humbling, like powerful experience and really yes. takes you out of the judgment piece to understand that sometimes you can literally be one decision away from something mm -hmm. leading you into mm -hmm. a different path. So I just wanted to share that because I found that to be a really powerful um, experience. Mm -hmm. So when you, could you share with us, I mean, here you are, you leave an abusive marriage, your, your daughter's two at the time, two-ish, two and a half, yep. two mm -hmm. and a half. Um, so that obviously is a scary time to, to make this, like to do a decision mm -hmm. and to make a decision like that. Um, where you don't have to be detailed, but is it just explain to us like what you go through to create that turning point to say, no, I'm not doing it this way. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to have to accept help from people. I'm going to have to do whatever, but I'm not staying where I am. Is yeah. there, can you just take yeah. us through a little bit of the emotion of that part? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
it had been going on for quite some time um, with my ex. He was um, a closet alcoholic. He, he was um, a con artist and a sociopath, and I didn't know. Like, I was a victim of, of his charm, and I was not young. I was, you know, I was in my late 20s when, when we um, met. And he just, um, the minute, he, he started changing after our daughter was born, and he, the attention was off of him, and then he couldn't stand that. Mm-hmm. And then he was in and out of jobs, and he, he, was, he was lying to me. He was... Uh, stealing money from our from our bank account and oh there's so much going on and then he was getting angry and um, destroying things in the home and uh, the violence was increasing to where I was getting scared he was going to start assaulting me so there's a pivotal time that um, during that time when I was leading up to it but I I kept thinking, well, maybe it'll change, and maybe this and that. And I never told anybody. Family, friends had no, had no idea what was yeah. going on in my world. I kept it very, very secret because I was ashamed that of course. I was going through something that no, me, me, you know, like as you say, you're, you're kind of one step away wow. from, from shattering. So I ended up um, – uh, he, he didn't come home like the second weekend in a row, and he was starting to become angry and abusive. Uh, and verbally abusive and violent in that house. And I said to him, um, you, you have to leave. And he said, I'm not leaving. You get get out and it was abusive. And I said, yeah, my family's coming over. So I phoned my parents and my, my uh, brothers and said, I, I need help. And they were kind of stunned to get this call. And, and they came over. And all of a sudden, when he knew that my family's coming over, he got very pleasant and said, oh, okay, well, I guess I better go. And as he was walking out the door, my, my brother was standing there with his arms crossed and just looked at him and, and – um, we were changing the locks immediately. And I often think about women who don't have that support. Yes. Um, you know, and it still mm-hmm. strikes me that what would I have done if I didn't have that support? So he left and, and um, there was a lot of things going on at the time, but, but I survived and sold the house and lost money on it. And my, mm-hmm. my unfortunately I had my parents, uh, um, took my daughter and I in and I got back on my feet. I was wiped out financially. He just destroyed me. And then I bought this beautiful little townhouse on Royal Green Crescent and rebuilt my life. And it was so cute and a wonderful neighborhood. And uh, like I say, working three jobs and my daughter was thriving. Everything was great. And then um, I, it was a June in 19, I think 96. And this one of my neighbors came walking down the street and I'd already read in the newspaper that there was something going on on our street and I'd already heard some stuff. And I remember turning my back on him thinking, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to get involved. I just want to pretend it's okay. And I, it was physical. I turned my back on him and I thought about it. And then I turned and faced him and said, okay. And he said, yeah, it's bad. We're in trouble. And I spent years fighting City Hall uh, as one of the kind of lead spokespeople. And, um, and that was really bad too. But through it all, I kept realizing that I had the capacity to do things that I had no idea I could do. Up until then, I was, life was pretty, you know, I'd gone through the, the, the marital thing, but, th- but that's, you know, that's survivable. But losing your home and knowing that people are dying of cancers and your daughter's being affected and you've lost, like everything's just done, that was, that was a tough one. But instead of taking the, the attitude of poor me, why me, I would say something, I'd go through something or I think I don't know how to deal with this big technological report that we're looking at about you know, dump sites. Um, but wow, I did it. And, and that was really tough. And it was really pretty awful. But wow, I did it. What next? What next can I accomplish and prove to myself that I can do this? And I mm-hmm. often go by the, the, the idea, what more can I do? Like, what, 
what is life going to, to hold for me and be excited about it instead of defeated by it. Because if I had been defeated, I don't know, I'd just still be there. I'd still be locked into where I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, as things happen, I just, I, I was shocked that I, I could do things. I didn't know I had the capacity. So, you know, you get to this kind of level of, of being able to accomplish something and then you think, holy smokes, I I did that. Like I, I stood up and talked to city council and I didn't pass out. And wow, and if I can do that, what next can I do? So I always kind of embraced that exciting challenge yes. of, wow, what next? This is a, life is pretty, pretty short and amazing and horrible and tough. And, and um, why not try something new? Why not push yourself? Because you can stay stuck and, and, and just live the rest of your life in that spot. Or you always have the capacity to get out of it and and move forward and make that change for yourself. And that's what I did. And that's what I hope. You know, I I always live by, by, when people ask me of something, and and I would say, well, if I can do it, you can do it. Because I'm nobody special. It's Mm -hmm. just the way you look at things. And I believed in myself. and, And I would look in the mirror and say, you can do this. You can do this. Even though physically inside my stomach was knots, my heart was pounding. Um, of course, you're human. These are huge, yeah. huge things, right? You're human. Well, yes. It was. It was. Wow. But I always think that uh, we have the capacity to do that and also reach out. You know, there are people all around you waiting to help. And I, I, uh, I leaned on people and asked and, and uh, reached out because I was, I was in a time of how, that I needed that help. Mm-hmm. And now that's why I feel very strongly about being able to do that for people. I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for acting on it. It's one thing to say it. It's another, you're doing it and you're completely doing that. I think that as we go through these challenges, one of the things I'm always and forever saying is, is that you have to ask different questions. When you ask mm-hmm. questions that are why questions, as in why me, why us, why this, like you're victim and they don't change anything. But if you can ask a different question, mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, what is this here to teach me? What am I here to learn? What am I here to do with this? All of a sudden yeah. there are expansive questions and you start to see things differently as different opportunities. And the fact that you were, you know, working through jobs and then end up being this spokesperson um, to try and help with your property and what you had to go through and then lose, like literally almost lose every, like lose everything again and start yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So the time between when you finished dealing with everything there before you became mayor, how long was that time frame? Of I was everything? still in, oh, you were still I was still in it. litigation. Yeah. So, um, we had launched a, a, like a $65 million lawsuit against the city of Kitchener that went on for years and years. And, and us poor little, we were just a, you know, a little community of 42 families who were not wealthy uh, trying to fight for our rights because there was no, we should never have had, uh, those houses should never have been built there and we should never have been allowed to buy them. And it was well documented. It was a landfill site, a contaminated, terrible area. And um, it was all hidden. It's quite a scandal. So during that time, um, the, the, uh, I, I was on Fifth Estate several times. I was in Chatelaine. Like I, I became kind of a community mm-hmm. activist. And all I really wanted was to have a safe, happy, healthy home for my daughter. And that wasn't being that that wasn't in the cards. So if I didn't fight for myself and my daughter, nobody would. Mm-hmm. And the system didn't understand, and maybe you'll understand this, is that they were going against my 
my values, my home, my ethics, my morals. You can't beat people down for that. It doesn't matter what they try. You stand firm to, to your, your home, your children, what's around you. And it doesn't matter whether it's a mayor and a council and, and um, oh gosh, the people who push back on us, they just didn't want to, to work with us. And it's, it's still quite a story. Uh, it wasn't a good story. And so um, there was a settlement done with 24 families. I wasn't one of them, I, so I, oh. I lost everything. And then the bank came after me and wanted money for me. And I just said, no, uh, no, I, I don't I take the house, but I, I'm going to fight you. So I launched uh, litigation against the city of Kitchener, CMHC, and the TD Bank by myself. Um, and I often wonder why, because I could have just moved away and, and quietly mm -hmm. left that area and, and let, you know, kind of get what I could out of my money. But ethically, it was wrong. And I couldn't do this to another person. And I still wish I sometimes wonder. But I did the right thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, it's um, okay. I'm not laughing at I you. Did. I understand. Yes. Yeah. I did the right thing, but it was tough. So I was in lit this big litigation against these three massive organizations here. I'm a single mom, working, living the dream. And uh, they were threatening me with all sorts of things. And I would say to them, put me in jail. I'm not giving you Myers Peace to pay for this house that you knew was a dump. And they didn't know what to do with me. So I was this really difficult flea. And luckily I had a, a lawyer uh, who believed in helping me because I had no money. And they hardly charged me anything. They were just great, but it was horrible. Because when I'd get a, a letter from the lawyer, I wouldn't know what to do because I didn't know no, what the was. I no, it was. It was very intimidating. But... Um, so I was in that litigation when I became mayor. So in 2006, when I became mayor, about 10 days after I became the mayor, I get a call from the lawyer. And I hadn't told him that I was running for mayor or anything because it was I, I tried not to talk to him too much, cost too much. So he says, hey, Brent, I got this really interesting call from the TV bank, and they want to stop litigation. And I, oh, I laughed interesting. at him asked me what just happened. And he said, well, what just happened? I said, I'm the mayor of Waterford. And I, I don't think he spoke for about a minute. And then he said, oh, oh, what? And I said, yeah, so I'm sure they would like to stop all this litigation. So everybody walked away from it. But up until then, they were all trying to destroy me. Fascinating, eh? Isn't that fascinating? For anybody who's listening, what you don't know is that Kitchener-Waterloo is, is one city in the sense that if like if I drive up my street and just drive to the next street, I'm in Kitchener. Like it's weird, just literally. So what, just I wanted to give twin that city. context. Yeah, Twin Cities to anybody who is listening because that is just, that's unbelievable when you look at it that way and how you did it yeah, and all of a sudden it was Waterloo. just gone. Wow. Yeah, so I grew up in Waterloo, so anybody in this community knows that if you're in Waterloo, you feel uh, like it's uh, Kitchener's not your home, and if you grew up in Kitchener, you don't feel Waterloo's your yep. home. Like, we have this yep. very strange... It's so weird. Strange. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Only locals get it. <laughs> yeah, and the locals, like, you could be on the other side of the street, and you're in Kitchener, but you're like, I'm, I'm Waterloo, and you're Kitchener. It's just so strange it's how true. it can be. Or there's <laughs> other parts of the city that I'm like, how is that Kitchener? Like, that's, like, this way. It makes no sense. It's so, so true. Yeah, I just wanted to give that context because it just, it makes the, it just shows so much more mm -hmm. of you and your story. So here you are, and you decide that you're going to run for mayor. Was there ever any yeah. doubt in your mind? You just went, no, I actually am going to do it. After after you said Catherine, and I actually know Catherine Fife, our kids were with just going younger. Yeah. And um, I just think that's awesome. So all of a sudden, you just said, no, I, yeah, I guess I'm going to. 
And, and you know, when I said I'm going to run for mayor, I, I hadn't discussed with my husband and daughter. So I came home and I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to run for mayor. All night, they just looked at me. You know, like, pass the potatoes. What? What? <laughs> what, what is mom say? doing? <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And my daughter's like, yeah, mom, let's do it. And my husband said, absolutely. Uh, let's do it. So uh, I, you know what? When I signed the uh, nomination forms, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to win. And I yeah. shouldn't have because I was up against a returning mayor um, and an incumbent mayor, two gentlemen who are well known in the community. And I was really yeah. a nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that that's, so I think, can we just dive into a second to that? And the fact that you just said, like, you knew you were going to win. Like that is a, that's a, that's a mindset personality trait to like, there was almost like there was no doubt. And is that, it sounds like that has been part of you for a long time. Like that is part of your DNA and maybe it just got stronger as you started to show what you have overcome. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess so, um, because you wouldn't put yourself in that if you didn't believe you're going to win. But I truly, I just knew I was going to win. And people say, oh, you're just saying that. I said, no, I, I really, I knew it. I just knew it in my heart because um, it was just going to happen. I, I can't explain it. I know it sounds wonky, but. No, um, it doesn't sound wonky to me. supportive group of people. Well, mm-hmm. it was the people who helped me. You know, I didn't do it alone. I have the most amazing and still do people who've helped and supported me. And uh, when I ran again, I ran against three men and it was, that was an interesting time as well. And uh, I just think from, from it all to, to pass on to people is when you believe in something and you believe in yourself and you know, you can do it. Don't, don't pause, just go and do it and and put yourself in that position because you're going to be pleased with how things turn out because it's all about you and what you do with it. Well, and I think that that's, I love what you said there and the fact about don't pause, because the second that we pause, we overthink, we self-doubt comes in, other voices come in, right? And people say to me all the time, well, like you make intuition sound easy. I don't, I can't hear mine. I'm like, cause you don't ever listen to it. Like you have to listen to your intuition for it to be stronger. Like it's you. And, and that means, yeah, there's going to be times you make mistakes, but they're mistakes and you learn. So it's not really a mistake. It's right. We learn as we go. So I love that about don't pause and keep going. So you are doing some incredible things out into the community. So now that you've explained that, I would love for you to go back to like, just to really put context now to your story, as far as like you give back to a lot of charities, support groups that help women in crisis. Mm -hmm. That is really a big, I mean, you obviously do other things, but that is really a big part of what you do, right? Yeah, because I was in crisis several times through my life, and I, I needed this, the help of those um, organizations. I, I did go through um, some training and supportive counseling with um, the Women's Crisis Services when I, I left an abusive marriage, and I really have been affected by finding out about uh, human trafficking, and um, that's been another area that I've been kind of... Um, champion as much as I can. So when I, in early in my mayor, mayor years, I had met a woman, her name was Tamea Nagy. Yes. She's a, a survivor of human trafficking. <clears throat> I read her book and I called her and uh, she was done because the people are really intimidated by me and stuff. And I, I always, uh, it's title. me and she, yeah, it's just a title. And she, mm-hmm. um, so I said, she was in Cambridge and I said, listen, I just read your book. Uh, how can I help you? What, what do you need? What, what can I do? Because I'm in a position to uh, to bring some, you know, people around a table and see what we can do. So uh, I've been 
with her for all these years and we're dear friends and I'm so proud of what she's doing and how far she's gone. She's another woman who never let what life dealt out to her hold her back. She's just changing the world. So um, I, I started talking about human trafficking in, in our community and nobody had ever heard about it really, never thought about it. The police were, were kind of shocked when I said, do we have human trafficking in Waterloo Region? And they said, um, I'll get back to you. And, and we've been talking about it ever since. And it's finally, it's all, I think it's been eight years, finally starting to get a lot more attention. And uh, the, the police services are starting to, to really beef up some of the areas of help. And, of course, we've got, you know, the Sexual Assault Support Centre with their, their um, human trafficking programs and their male ally programs. And a lot of people are talking about it. And um, there's no beds. There's no place for still for human traffic victims. But now we have women's crisis services saying, yeah, we can have some beds. So everybody's starting to, you know, you see this beautiful melding of just everybody wants to help out. And um, I, I feel... Um, proud that I was able to be a part of, of helping us join together and, and bring oh, services. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that topic to light. If you ever want to talk about a topic that no one wants to talk about, but needs to be oh, talked gosh, about, yes. that is definitely yeah. one of them. I actually heard her speak in Kitchener. Um, I don't even know how many years ago. It was a few years ago. Um, phenomenal. She was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in our recent book that we just published, the collaborative book um, called Owning Your Choices, we have a girl from Africa, Thambeka, who shared her story. And she is, I like to call her, so, and she calls herself that, as a survivor of human trafficking, not a victim. She doesn't like to be called victim of that. So she's a survivor of human mm -hmm. trafficking. And she mm -hmm. openly shares her story. And it is just, it's just crazy powerful. We're back to yeah. the same thing again, that if we don't start talking about these things, then no change will happen, right? No change yeah. will happen. We have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. I'm so happy that you're doing that. I'm so happy that you're bringing that, that to light. And on speaking of light and lighter, officiating weddings, this is something that you love to do. <laughs> <laughs> right I this do. is awesome i love it i know it kind of came to me in a very random way so a couple of years ago i was asked by the organizer of the summer lights festival in downtown kitchener if i would consider being the part of this this package this winning package that of uh, people who want to get married and it would i officiate i'd be kind of part of the, the winning package <laughs> and I thought, well sure why not so the city of kitchener gave me was able to grant me a special dispensation to officiate a wedding mm -hmm. and um there were i i don't know they, they put this out as a contest and about 10 couples applied and they would win um a night at the at the walper and dinner and money and free photography and free pictures like everything to do a um, a pop-up wedding kind of thing so the couple that won were friends of mine who had asked me years prior when i was mayor could you marry us as mayor could you marry us and i said well i don't mayors don't have the authority so they won and so it was so random because i didn't know they'd applied and they didn't they didn't didn't think they were going to win. And so, so they won They're and, and they're kind of an older, mature couple and dear, dear, lovely friends. So I officiated the wedding. I was probably more nervous about doing that than I was about meeting the queen or, or Stephen Hawking. Like it, I was so scared because it, it was, you know, there were a couple hundred or maybe a thousand people on the right in front of city hall and did this wedding. And uh, then I thought, this is so nice. I love it. And so I became a wedding officiant for the past about a year and a half now. Um, I've done quite a few weddings and uh, 
this year was not an easy year for weddings. Bless everybody. No, no. We got lots lining up. So I, uh, marrying people is one of the sweetest, loveliest things to do because they're so happy and you're just a part of this, this microcosm of their, their life. And it's lovely. Mm, That's beautiful. I love how you're doing that. That's something you love doing, but I love, I love that you're taking part of that. And the interesting is, I think it just speaks to who you are. And I love that. Um, you really enjoy mentoring and coaching people on how to reach their highest potential. And what does highest potential mean to you? What does that mean? Oh, that they're satisfied, that they're excited about themselves, that they're, they're, um, that they're unstuck and they're just looking outside the window, seeing the potential and the possibilities uh, of their, their self, themselves, about what they mm-hmm. can accomplish. And maybe for someone, it's just, um, you know, applying for a different job. Like, I think sometimes we label potential and accomplishment as being something absolutely stupendous about being, mm-hmm. you know, flying to the moon or landing on Mars. But sometimes it's as simple as being able to take that next step in applying for a new job, uh, for leaving a re- an abusive relationship, for um, dealing with things that you just didn't want to deal with and that you mm-hmm. had to find capacity in yourself. So it's, it's it, I just love listening to people and just helping to give them some maybe a bit of guidance and coaching or just say, well, you know, that, that I went through that and this is kind of how I managed it. Um, so yeah, I think it's really a, a privilege to that people trust you that much to talk to you about things. So I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, 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 do, I do too. Like you're, I do. I do. I love it. I do. And I mean, some of the stories that come to me, there are moments where I'm like, Oh wow, that's a heavy story. Like that's a heavy story. Yeah. But I also at the same time can look at it and go, I'm so proud of you for reaching out and for wanting to change the story. Like I'm so proud mm-hmm. of you for not mm-hmm. choosing to stay stuck in it. And because I don't take that lightly when somebody really, you know, connects with a stranger online and says, Hey, can you help me with this kind of where I'm at? I, because I know that that's not easy to create change, especially yeah. in some of the stories that people are walking in, but it's, it's yeah. possible. And perspective is everything, right? So again, what we're looking for, what we're seeing, it's we get to choose what we see. We get to choose what we're seeing. We can see all the difficulties or we can see all the potential. And um, not that I like to take the conversation here, but I think that it's really important. How do we stay in that space in this time of so much uncertainty with COVID? Because there is certainly a lot of like, if you could, you could easily fall on the negative bandwagon. You could easily fall in that. It's a really, it's a really interesting time. You know, it, it really is. And um, I guess I look at where I'm, like me personally, where my life is at, and how fortunate I am. Mm-hmm. I, I I try to help people think about what a what the reality is for most of the world and how fortunate we are here in Canada. And yeah, it's really tough to be locked in our houses, but we have a house. We have hydro, right. we have clean water, we have food, we have we have everything. We're like a, a the minority, the tiny minority of, of a, a global um, pandemic and people live in appalling uh, conditions. That's a problem. That's, that's mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. But being stuck in your house because you can't go out for a bit, but you got heat and hydro and water, we're okay. And, mm-hmm. and the medical services and, and government that's, that's steady and reliable. Like we, are, we are the blessed people in the world 
that um, I don't think we should be complaining quite so much and to just do a reset. You know, yeah, okay, it, it might not be easy going around, but it's it'll come back. But the people who are living in abject poverty in places like India and, and other places oh. Africa, those people have nothing, nothing's going to be there to fall back on. So I always try to, to help people see a different perspective mm-hmm. and how worse it is for others and to hang on. And yeah, this is awful and it's horrible, but um, there's a lot worse situations out there. And yeah. our world's going to be okay when, when mm-hmm. we can open the doors and go outside. It's definitely, I thank you for that. And I I appreciate that. It's, we've just, we've worked really hard to intentionally, like where can we intentionally support some small businesses? Where can we intentionally Mm -hmm. put some back out? Where can we intentionally do things? And not, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm not really taking part in all of the negative bandwagon and things that are there because Mm -hmm. it's just not where I choose to put my energy. It's just not where I want it to go. Um, so it's really being conscious about that. It's definitely what you choose. We're back to perspective again. And what you choose to focus on is what you see. It's what you see more of. And it's, you know, I've, I've had many conversations with some people who are just downright angry. And when it comes down to it, they're angry because it's inconvenient. And I'm like, well, it's, inconvenient is a, it's really not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to be okay. There are, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. There are places that, I mean, they would pray for inconvenience. They would pray for the inconvenience that we have. Yes. Yeah. You know, but I think for me, the true heroes right now are the self-employed people. And again, I was raised by a self-employed dad. And I, I remember those times when they hadn't, you know, people weren't paying their invoices and that, and they were sitting at the kitchen table worried about how they're going to get get ahead but we always managed but I do look at I have a lot of friends in in uh, you know the restaurant sector and, and hospitality mm-hmm. and owners and, and I my heart is breaking for them because they did nothing to deserve the the conditions that are happening so um that is one I don't know how I don't know how, you know, to kind of put a bright spin on that for them because they're losing everything and we all need to be supportive of them. But again, a lot of people are financially struggling and it isn't easy. And I might, you know, it is kind of, when I think about it, it's it's easy to say, yeah, we'll look at others, but there are some really tough stories in this community. And, um, you know, there's, um, there's some people really, really hurting and struggling and, uh, my heart breaks for them and I'm not quite sure. Uh, I don't even know what to say to them except, I don't, I don't either. No, I don't either. I just know, I know that we are, we intentionally are trying to support as many small businesses, restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we certainly, we've cut back on a lot of things. It's been things that we've just, we have to do for ourselves as well. Um, But where I can, that's where we do is trying to support some of the smaller restaurants. Or when I, when Mm -hmm. I do go to a smaller restaurant, it's, you know, like I will give a really, really good tip because I know that they are, you know, they are working. When you walk into some of these bigger, bigger restaurants and all of a sudden you've got, they can only put 10 people in. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot to open for a small space, but then I have friends in different parts of, um, here, Canada and the States that are like, they're not even, there's not even 10 people indoors. It's they're, they're closed right now. So it's, it's, I, yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? It's a very, it's a very interesting time. So, I mean, I think community wise trying to support as much as we can and doing Mm -hmm. what we can, but at the same time, just, I, I like to believe that being a light and being a way for others is will only continue to help. We can't change or fix where everyone's mm-hmm. at. 
but where we can give, we do, where we can make a difference, we do. And I think that that's important. I totally agree. And I think that that's incumbent on all of us. I always say for those of us who can, we need to do something for those of us who need us. Yes. Well, we also, I think that um, not comparing, but in saying, I think you can understand we can easily be on the other side. There's like, we've all been Mm -hmm. on the other side where Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people, there are people who helped me get to today and where I am today is not where I'm going to be in a year, but there's people who helped me. And there were some really, really big crisis moments in my life that I had friends who literally walked in, opened up the door and they're like, here's money for groceries. Like, it's just, I look at that and I think, right, this is, it is, Mm -hmm. where can I pay that back? Because we can easily Mm -hmm. be on either side of that coin. You sure can. I spent many times uh, sleepless nights wondering how I was going to survive a lot of things as a single parent and uh, going through what I went through. But there was always, I love that you say there was always a light, you know, you could, you just go find that light and you, you have to sometimes let people know, even though your pride is holding you back. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's really happening. So I, I'm just going to, I want to act, I love that you said that because I want to just say one thing here. Can you just speak to someone who is listening, who is praying for some solution to happen, but they're so afraid to ask for help. It doesn't matter where they're, mm-hmm. where they're at. Is there advice or something you could give to somebody who is listening right now in those shoes and too scared to ask for help because God knows what is anyone going to think, say about me for needing help? So I was in those shoes. I was in an abusive marriage and, it, and I, I was always shocked by it because I was, had a good job. I was always successful and had a good family. So it, this should, in my mind, I couldn't believe what was happening to me and I never told my family. I never told my friends, but sometimes they would ask me interesting questions, but I'd always make sure I'd I'd say, no, everything's great. Um, If I hadn't have asked, reached out and asked for help, I would have never been able to pull myself out of it. And I think that there were times that my pride got in the way of asking for help until I couldn't do it anymore. And then I realized when I started asking for help, like when I phoned my parents at, at a critical time when he was violent and saying, um, I, I'm, I'm just kicking him out. I don't know what to do. I need help. And my mother said, finally, finally, you're telling oh. us. Because we've known that. But we had to wait to hear it from you. We're, we're on our way. And then oh, I, wow. that just showed me. And then I talked to my friends and I told people and they were stunned. And nobody looked down upon me. Everybody embraced me with loving arms and said, how can I help? I always say to people, if you're having trouble and you don't know what to do, call me, contact me, email me. I'll help you because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you have nowhere to go and have nobody or you just can't reach out. Call me. Tell me. Mm. I'll, I'll help and I'll open some doors and help you out. And, um, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out because we're just people and we're just trying to help everybody out. And we all have tough times. And yes. just whatever you're going through it's not going to be forever. When I was going through those tough years, I'd always say in a year from now, I'm going to be okay. But right now it's awful. It's awful. I'll get through it. And in a year from now, I'm going to be okay. And that kept me going for a long time. Just knowing that. Mm. 
Wow. Thank you for saying that. I thank you for saying that. I just wanted to speak to that because I also find that I help a lot of women to be vulnerable and share their story. Okay. And, but, and they're always so afraid to, and then all of a sudden they do. And they're like, I don't know what to do with all this love. Like people are, people are reaching out for support. They're saying, thank you for this. Thank you for Mm -hmm. telling me what's, and then all of a sudden they're just, I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, see all those years of stories that we were afraid that everybody would judge us they don't tend to. And sometimes, even if you are not surrounded by people who can or will help you through that, there are a lot of places where total strangers can step up and be be that source yeah. and support, right? So it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be somebody you know, but that first step of asking for help can really be can really be the light to change everything. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Never yeah, be, be afraid. afraid. You know, be strong for yourself and stay strong. When, once I was going through a tough time and a friend of mine just sent me this message and it said, stay strong. And it was so impactful. Mm-hmm. It was so impactful. And mm-hmm. I see that quite often. Stay strong because mm-hmm. we are and you are. But you've got to continue with that and believe that you will get yourself out of whatever it is you're in. Because you'll do it for you. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I, I know that that will definitely land with someone. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I have two key questions that I want to ask you that I like to wrap things up with. And the first is what impact do you specifically want to make in the world? Whatever that means to you, what does the word impact mean to you? Well, the impact is um, how many people I've been able to impact with, with just, with, with just, what I can do with, with, from me. Um, An impact is how many people can I, can I bring joy to and help and hug and hold and love and um, experience their joy and be a part of their joy? Uh, I, I love to be um, in the background in, in, in helping. And um, yeah, that's a really great question. But impact to me means bringing joy, bringing love, bringing security, bringing help, bringing hope, bringing love. Oh, I love it. I love it. And my last question for you is what lessons in life are you most grateful for? All the tough times I've had. Because if I hadn't had them, I wouldn't have challenged myself to, to be a, a mayor and to do all the things I've been able to do. Um, so yeah, all, all those tough things and being a mom and being now I'm a grandma. Those are the best Aww. things ever. Yeah. So I am very blessed and very fortunate, and uh, I, I have battle scars from life, and I love each and every one of them because it's mm. made me, uh, it, it's made me do more and pushed me to do what I I need to do and what I will continue to do. Oh, I thank you so much for that, and I thank you for stepping into your light, your energy, in order to make a difference. I know you make a difference in this community. I definitely know that, and I oh, know you're making you. a difference, an even bigger difference and impact than what you realize, because you are, by sharing those parts of yourself that not everybody would be able to do, you are showing what is possible, and you're giving someone else hope in seeing like how much can you change your story over one year, five year, 10 years, like how much can you change your story? And you can not only have you changed it, but you've changed it for the better and using that to impact others. So I thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. I just, I just learned from others like you, Darren. We're all in this together. (laughs) 
And you, I love that you said that we are all in this together. We are not alone. Yeah. It might feel like it sometimes, but we are all in this together. The more we take that approach, the more yeah. collectively we can do. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.